Hey, what's up, guys? This is Dion Brown, and you are watching Man Versus Brand. Shifts. Shifts happen. There's another saying that takes the F out of shift that also happens. But shifts happening is something wherein I think you take the experience that you're having and you contextualize it, you learn from it, you empower that circumstance to inform future decision-making. We are our most powerful when we are learning-based. And learning-based comes in a few ways. Learning-based can be uh, that you read X amount of books, you listen to X amount of podcasts, uh, you have a, a mentor. A learning-based can quite literally also be that you in your lived experience, start to understand more about yourself, more about your choices, more about who you are, uh, more about your brand, right? How people believe in you, right? How people see you versus how you see yourself. And there's something really powerful when shift happens is that you ultimately then start to align yourself so whatever you decide is valuable. Uh, if you decide that it is more valuable to be a loving husband, a great father, a solid leader, a strong business person, then that's the direction your shift happens will go. You can also decide to shift in a space where um, you are not those things, that maybe those things aren't for you. You have lived a life where you now wear hats that you no longer want to wear. Agency says that is also a choice for you. Either way, those things come with consequences. They come with sacrifice. They come with reward. And possibly they come with failure. But we can't stay the same. It's almost impossible. Is it impossible for our businesses to remain the same, for our personal lives to remain the same, for our networks to remain the same, and most importantly, for us to stay the same? This idea of permeance, this idea that we will just be the same, everything will stay the same. I know it sounds great. I know it sounds like legacy. What it, what it in fact sounds like is stagnation and stubbornness. So I'm going to talk to Daryl Evans. Daryl is a serial entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's co-founded a bunch of businesses. We'll talk about that. More importantly, uh, he has had shifts in his business, shifts in his life, shifted into podcasting. So right now, if you're listening to the sound of my voice, pause, go over to the MindShift podcast, Subscribe over to his podcast, then don't listen to his episode quite yet. Come back, finish this podcast, and then go listen to his podcast. So I'm going to support you right now, finding him before you enter into this episode. Um, he started the Mindshift podcast um, to talk about things like this. Now, I want you guys to come in with an open mind because. Sometimes the right decision 
doesn't always seem like the most fair decision, the most easiest solution or decision. Um, and sometimes we have to take some steps back to move forward. And I know for a lot of you guys, that's that's a harder concept um, to to wrap your heads around because as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as human beings, we just want progress and progress always seems to be about moving forward, right? If you're not forward moving, if you're not forward thinking, if you're not innovating, then you're doing something wrong. But sometimes your shift may be a pivot into a different direction. Sometimes you need to take a step back, reflect before making a choice. So shifting is not inherently forward, but the idea is that you should gain some level of progress that will eventually lead to you moving forward. Anyway, um, I'm going to let Daryl talk to you about all that good stuff because he's had this, this idea, this thought, this process, this methodology down way before I did because his podcast is awesome. So I'm going to shoot it over to him. In five, four, three, two, one. One of the greatest philosophers of our time once said that when it's up, then it's stuck. Find out how to make your next big idea stick with Dion Brown and his podcast. With 20 years of experience in growing and managing businesses and brands at the highest level, Dion is having the conversations that you are looking for. Welcome and have a great time. Daryl, why don't you say hello to the audience? Dion, well, first of all, thank you for, uh, and I'm sitting there forgetting that I was a guest as you was into your your monologue. That was absolutely fantastic. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, let me just be quiet and let him run with this. This is absolutely fantastic. So first of all, Dion, thank you for having me on the show, uh, Man versus Brand, uh, listening audience. Uh, my name is Daryl Evans. I'm uh, based here in Las Vegas, Nevada, born and raised all the way across the uh, United States of America from your man, Dion. And I'm excited to be here to talk about uh, mind shift and and life and and what we call the journey from inspiration to realization and when life knocks us down from breakdown to breakthrough. You know what? Let's start there. Let's start with breakdown to breakthrough because you hear that a lot, uh, Daryl, and it is one of those things that I think can can straddle the line between um a lack of awareness of your own process or empowerment in in allowing your process to help you become better. Now I'll give you the first instance, right? So someone's like, man, break down the breakthrough, right? Like I'm crying on the floor right now but it's going to get me to where I need to go. It's like, no, you crying on the ground isn't what's going to get you to where you need to go. It's It's what you understand about what happened to you, how you process that is what's going to get you to the other place, right? So, So how can we determine or what are the steps or what do we need to know when we're in these spaces, these uncomfortable spaces, when 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 we are unsure of ourselves, when we are struggling with um, 
anxiety around projects, around businesses, when we lose relationships that we leaned into heavily um, to support our lives, how, how do we, what, what are some steps in moving from that actual breakdown to a breakthrough when only the breakdown has occurred? Hmm. That's a rich, uh, rich uh, intro to the, to the, to the idea, right? I mean, I think all of us listening to this show or, and those of us who are entrepreneurs, leaders, parents, uh, who've journeyed it all through any aspect of leadership, we know that uh, we have to become comfortable with failure, right? And failure is not an end result or a destination. I always say failure is not your identity. It's an outcome. And so I use the word breakdown in place of the word failure to simply mean that there was, we're probably sitting in a place we didn't intend to be. Maybe we participated, well, we always participated, but maybe we didn't have that to be the intended outcome. But I think to to get to your to your question, the when you're in the moment of breakdown, at least my way of handling it and what I had to start learning through my own mistakes and my own awareness and my own realizations was those days, those moments when I had to shed tears, even if it wasn't a tear shedding e- event, but in that example, it is okay to shed those tears and get them out for the realization of what may have occurred. And I think sometimes we try to be too tough about, I was raised, you know, you're a man, you don't cry, right? You know, I don't know how many people listen to the show, you know, and I'm not suggesting that that's uh, wrong teaching, but I do think it is important that you feel the emotion of the loss. You feel the emotion of the setback. It's okay. But I also believe that you can't stay there because it's not healthy. It's not healthy to stay there. So Dion, the the first part of the process for me is to make peace with the facts, right? So whenever something goes wrong, whenever we have a breakdown, someone, a failed relationship, and Dion, I've had it all. I've participated, you know, uh, for your listening audience, one thing I'll drop on them that I think was a game changer for me many, many years ago was that anytime your life was messed up, you were there. And so making peace with the facts in the mind shift method has to do with acknowledging where we are, acknowledging what's happened. But unfortunately, we carry forward in many cases things that have happened 5, 10, 20, if not hundreds of years ago. And while they are factual, it doesn't serve us in the next moment. And so I've just become good at, unfortunately, good at making mistakes <laughs> and good at figuring out what to do next. But the key is, you know, you know, and anxiety is real, depression is real, all of the things around mental health are real. Um, but at some point, we've got to decide to ourselves that the facts are what they are. And what I like to do is say, OK, now that we know what the score is, right, being a, a ball player growing up, being a sports guy, I can always look to the scoreboard. We win a game. We lost a game. We're ahead of the game. We're not winning the game. We just turned the ball over. We didn't turn the ball over. We scored a touchdown. So what? Right. And I hate to say life is like a sport, but in my mind, that's the way I process it. Whether we win or whether we lose, we've got to come back and be ready to play the next day. And so without going too much further there, I think of it as, you know, make peace with the facts, whatever those facts are. And by the way, that's on the good side of things. Like I said, inspiration to realization, you wanted to start on the breakdown, the breakthrough side, but 
this whole thing is a never ending process. Um, so what, what you just said brings up for me personally, um, my first, uh, partnership breakup in business. And, and oddly, I was probably more affected in that breakup than I have in any actual romantic personal breakup in my entire life. Um, mostly, I think, because uh, um, so much, so many of the relationship building uh, was my first, um, my first process in transparency and dream sharing and sacrifice in, in financial, uh, conjoining, right? Like all, it was like a marriage before I was even, well, it's a marriage. <laughs> I was in my, my early twenties. Right. So I was like, yeah. like, it was like, I, I, we, we, we get married. Right. And we, we marriage, you know, yeah. um, and then it, it 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 ended, and I I ended up having to go to therapy. I didn't know. I just knew that I was sort of stuck in this rut where I couldn't figure my way out. And then I ended up going to therapy, and therapy was completely the best thing to get me out of it. Um, but it's interesting in, in just hearing you speak about how little as leaders, entrepreneurs, and human beings, we actually go to other folks in order to help us process it. We feel like it's our job to do it ourselves. We, 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 we want to then lay this, this burden on our families and our friends who may not be equipped to help us make sense of what's going on. And so, you know, what we end up doing is we end up holding that trauma in, right? That idea of boys don't cry is about internalizing and not expressing emotion. And when we do that, we then become triggered by things in the future. We then hold on to um, onto habits that don't allow us to move forward in solid relationships because we haven't actually gotten the healing from what had occurred in order for us to be productive in the way that we intend, not the way that we actually are, but the way that we intend. So um, I thank you for sharing that because I think um, not only did it resonate with me in, in my early experience in business, but I think it also calls into play a lot of, of the tendency of um, leaders, entrepreneurs, and just, again, just human beings to, to try to do this on their own um, and what that does is it creates five years ago, I'm still carrying this thing from 10 years ago. I'm still carrying this thing because I haven't given myself permission to, to utilize resources in order for me to heal from it, in order for me to move forward and be more productive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of times we think about the idea of, therapy or getting help. And I'm, believe me, in any situation, you should get the help that you need. And I think as leaders, sometimes we don't think we should talk about our problems. We shouldn't talk as men sometimes. 
And I just wasn't raised that way. And I think that whatever the help is that you need, you do have to get it and seek it. I lost a, a dear, dear friend a few years ago uh, who took his own life. And, um, you know, I ever said, and I've always known strong men who have done some form of what I call suffering in silence. And that is, you know, whatever that looks like. And that was the most traumatic ending to a scenario that I never saw coming. Um, but that being said, I think it's really important uh, when you're in a situation to, and I've, the distinction for me became sympathy versus empathy, right? Sometimes when you're in something, you can talk to people and they can sympathize and be all oh, baby, you know, my grandmother's in my, all oh, baby, you know, one of those. And there's a difference between someone though who can empathize because they're on the outside of the picture frame looking in and they can be objective. And I think that's the difference. Sympathy and um, uh, subjective opinion about what you should do next versus objective and empathetic um, perspectives. And I think that's what's important is, is how long are you going to sit in sympathy and in the um, whatever the emotions are, right? For me, when I've gone through my breakdowns, I know one that I still wrestle with is when something doesn't go right, I, I get stuck in guilt. Guilt, guilt. What did I not do? Like, um, I feel guilty or blame. Like, what didn't I do? Why didn't this work out uh, when I thought I was putting all of my effort into it? And so the question is, we've got to get out of the loop because this is the loop that keeps us uh, stuck. Uh, and as you said earlier in the monologue, it keeps us from progressing. And sometimes that progressing is just a shift to the left or to the right. It's not so much about running faster. So... You're gonna have to give me a second because this sure. is <coughs> Ooh, guys. All right, so that uh what you just said brought up something because your <coughs> well guys give me one second. All right. All right. I don't know if I'm going to edit this out, but you are probably the 12th person <clears throat> uh, who has told a story recently that uh, a person had taken their own life. And I had a similar circumstance friend of mine took uh, their own life three months ago. And now <coughs> every week I'm meeting a new person who who's telling a version of that story. And it is, um, there is something I think specifically in adult men um, specifically in high-functioning adult men, um, that I think that, that that folks don't feel like they have the support system, the agency to advocate for themselves. Um, and, you know, you hear statistics, right? You hear um, X amount of teens are um, taking their own lives, X amount of this demographic is taking their own lives, but it's happening, uh, and it's happening to 
a lot of folks for whom they they everyone talks about check on your strong friend, right? But it's happening for people who literally become the standard for strong, right? Like, like it's not, it's not the ultra depressive friend. I'm not, I'm not removing mental health from this. I'm not saying that that is not a real and true thing. I'm just seeing more and more that it doesn't matter how large your family is, how much money you make, uh, the accolades, the books, the if you're in um, the leadership space, if you're in the coaching space, you could check all of the boxes that would signify a happy life. You can even have a large friend network. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are buffered and protected from feelings of isolation, feelings of depression, feelings of um, of ideation around self-harm. And so uh, the more I hear about it, the more affected I become because I realize that like that that this is not not only is this starting to feel indicative of something that's happening in the ecosystem, right? That it's just, that it's occurring, but also that, that so many, um, guests, hosts, podcasters, people on social media, whatever, are really starting to understand the, um, the stress that and the the enormity of the weight that we participate in and how unhealthy that weight is. And so uh, while you're talking, um, I literally talked to someone yesterday, talked to someone about three days ago, um, and everyone's telling the story about all these awesome people that took their own life. So in this moment, it kind of all just sort of came together for me. I'm typically super not that guy to be like, oh my God, I just got emotional in this episode. But there, there is just something about this occurrence that I think is, is, is telling, but it's also, Daryl's also, it lacks a lot of the indicators, right? To, to get in front of it, right? right? So it could be, you talk to me today, we have this amazing conversation, and then you hear news about me tomorrow. And you wonder, you know, why didn't the person advocate? Was I not being a good friend, right? Like, it's not like you could say, oh, you self-cut. Oh, you went through a divorce. Oh, you, I'm tracking these traumatic moments. A lot of this stuff from uh, a friend's network whatever professional standpoint, there weren't really any indicators as to what this has happened. Again, we didn't go over what happened specifically in, in your circumstance, but there's so many more stories that I'm hearing now where it, that there just weren't those signs that it would be this outcome and yet the outcome happened anyway. Right. You know, I, I definitely can't speak to what is going on in someone's mind, but to your point of seeing leaders and people that are in positions of authority, 
um, I can only speak to the mental health journey that I have to, the regimen that I have to put myself in, the self-care practice that I can say is what I need to do as training to continue the journey as a leader. You know, I've been blessed to be in leadership since I was, you know, 18 and, and more specifically 20, I'm 52 this year. And the interesting part about it is there are a lot of people who don't want leadership in any way, shape or form, right? They just want to follow a leader. And I think when you step into leadership and the more mature you become as a leader, you realize that you are in charge of a flock of people who believe what you believe, who are counting on you to be at the front of the boat, who are counting on you to be able to see what they can't see. And they just want to believe in what you believe in. And they just want to get behind you and run. Um, when the pandemic hit, and I know a lot of uh, leaders and entrepreneurs listen to this, none, none of us knew what that meant. It was def There was a new definition called essential and non-essential. And based on that categorization, you were told what to do next. And in those moments, I can only remember back to my one of my businesses, and we lost 60% of the business in 14 days. 60% of the recurring revenue went bye-bye. Every email, phone call was just another person saying, listen, we're in that other category. We're not going to be able to do anything. You guys didn't do anything wrong, but we can't pay you for a while. And you have to figure something out in that moment. And, and you know, I had to work through sometimes, Dion, though I'm a coach like you are, I don't like to necessarily have to put my own. I don't like to put myself through my own frameworks, <laughs> but, but I had to put myself through my own frameworks over the last couple of years. Because it's like, what do you tell your team when you've lost 60% of the business, but you're really committed to knowing that this isn't, this isn't life changing in terms of like this, our industry is not going away. The business model isn't irrelevant. It's just a thing that has happened, but how do we navigate? Because this is likely to be temporary. And so I think one of the biggest challenges with leadership is being able to carry a measure of confidence, even in the face of fear. And a lot of times you're just as scared as they are, but you do have to wear a different, you have to wear a different suit of clothes and you have to figure it out. Like we all have been in places and continually in places, navigating digital transformation, navigating what's happening with AI and lamentating blockchain, navigating the challenges with the employment market right now, navigating what's happening with inflation, real estate prices, navigating what's happening with consumer price goods a few years ago, supply chain. There's a never ending cycle of things coming at entrepreneurs and leaders. And so it does get tiring. I, I would say that the, the best thing that I've done is work continuously on my self-care practice. And again, it's not 100 percent perfect, but um, I think that's one of those things that I think I can think to my own journey has probably kept me away from, um, you know, first of all, I wouldn't ever do do that. But uh, as far as take my own life. But I mean, there have been plenty of times where you could feel that level of why am I even doing this? You know, no, you know, so it's just one of those things. And I think we all stand in that position sometimes where we're pouring into other people to develop them, to train them, to give them space to grow and shine. And we pay their checks and we go get the customers and we build the processes and the systems and it's tiring. And then sometimes when it's all going wrong, it's all you. I said this on social media the other day, when you build a business, I'm speaking now to those who are in leadership, building teams, have teams, built companies, when we win, it's all of us. But when we lose, it's me. Absolutely. And I that's agree. the reality of leadership, right? It's, you know, it, 
when we win, it's us because we couldn't have done it without everybody on the team. But when we lose or when something goes wrong, it's all on the person because guess who hired everybody? <laughs> right. Well, so, and that so, can feel so, weighty. So, so I do, I do want to, I do want to sort of, uh, uh, elaborate or allow you to elaborate on, on some things that I, I do think that you're right. Um, and I agree with it. I think that, um, a key part of this is a community, right? Like, like you're, you're, you're ultimately not, you're, you're ultimately not responsible to figure this out yourself you're responsible to advocate for the fact that you can't figure this out. Right. Like, like, so we were talking before the call started. I was talking about being in real estate and uh, during uh, COVID, he was like, Oh my, I, I went through that whole 08, 09 thing. Right. Like not the same thing, but very similar issues were occurring. I need someone that went through 08, 09 housing crisis to tell me some things that they learned, right? And and those things might be, man, foreclosures became crazy for us. Man, whatever that thing looked like, right? Like stay away from new developments. That's probably not going to work for you in this market, right? Um, and so when we, when we, Find community, whether that's in the form of masterminds, whether that's in the form of, of groups, then it allows for us, specifically with people that are at different stages of their business, it allows for us to not have to feel the total weight of the responsibility of decision making because ultimately you have community. Also in that community, are like your trusted advisors, like your accountants, your lawyers, um, your um, your accountants, your lawyers, uh, your tax folks, uh, all of those people, right? And then to what you were saying earlier, the people that you hired, right? Like if if you if you hire people that are in if you're if you hire people that are invested in the success of your team, who have ownership in what they're responsible for they'll ultimately self-select themselves when something doesn't happen to be like, hey, guys, we need to do better, right? Like, if your team doesn't advocate for you, then that's not, in fact, your team. That's just people who work for you. So, so much of, I think, um, about what you're saying, Daryl, is, is so spot on about the way that, the way that the culture of business works, um, the hope that I have for the listeners, for, for everyone, is that you truly commit commit yourself to community, to masterminding, to, to pouring not just into yourself, but being poured into, that you have trusted advisors that you know are there with your team. Like, you don't need a financial management person who wants to come in after you have gotten 200 million in revenue, they should have, they, they should believe in you when you just are trying to figure out how to even get this thing off the ground, right? Because when you build those relationships, those are the people that you'll be able to be transparent with, that you can have conversations about, well, why is the industry looking like this? And my business is feeling like this. 
Um, and lastly, um, when you have solid relationships, specifically in service and product, you have solid relationships with vendors. Um, even in hard times, you can create value for them that allows them to come back to you when this thing is over. So, right. So you're talking, you're in your mastermind, you're talking about the industry. You take that information, you give it to your team, take that information and you give it to your vendors, your suppliers, your whatever, because they're, those people are probably not being poured into. So this becomes a whole funnel where everyone starts to become empowered with more information, with value, with care calls, with all that, that puts you in a place where even though you truly are alone in a way because you are the leader and this is your thing that you're now in contract with people for, that you don't find yourself feeling isolated and removed um, and leaning into drinking, leaning into drugs, leaning into gambling, right? There's a whole bunch of ways where you're not committing, taking your own life, but in essence, you are mimicking behavior that ultimately looks like that, where you're not living your full life, you're living a version of your life where you're not living fully for your family and network. So I appreciate you for bringing up those points because I think that this speaks to this whole sort of broader conversation about, um, about you know, as a kid saying, you know, boys don't cry, right? It's like leaders don't complain, but it's also like, if you got a network, leaders actually do complain and somebody out there is going to be like, yo, let's get this figured out and get it done. So I want to talk to you, man. I want to talk to you. I want to hear your opinion um, on your, your methodology around uh, mind and more specifically uh, mind shift. So is mind shift an individual thing? Is it an organizational thing? Can it be applied to families? Like, or is this purely just for the individual? How does this this mind shift methodology work? Yeah, the mind shift methodology, I think it applies in every aspect of life. When I, you know, 20 something years ago, I wouldn't say I developed it then, but it was when I can trace back to when I began practicing it um, as we continue to move and move and interact through life. And to be honest, it started in my personal life before it ever happened in my business life. And so if I go back to 23 or so years ago, I woke up one day uh, after a relationship breakup that had two children in it, my two oldest boys, and uh, their mom decided to move away from the city we were living in uh, to about 1,300 miles away. And I woke up to the realization that I was going to have to fi figure out how to be a dad uh, from 1,300 miles away. And the reality was in the painful uh, awareness of, uh, of her decision, uh, my initial immature self would say, how dare you? And, you know, how dare you take my kids away from me? But uh, the, the more mature part of me said, she's a grown up. She can live wherever she wants. And so the question then became, OK, when I say make peace with the facts, it didn't happen overnight that I made peace with the facts that they were going to grow up there. And I was going to live here because, in fact, I decided to move there to try to make that distance cut short. Uh, but the reality was, uh, in my belief, I believe God spoke to me through that year saying, you don't have to be here. 
to have a relationship with them. You don't have to be here. Uh, that's not where your business is. This isn't where your life is. This isn't, this isn't really, you're, you're here for the wrong reason. Go home. And I believe in June of 2020, that's what he told me. So I came back home, got back to business, got back to doing the thing here. And so, but then it comes to step two, which is to make a new decision about what we're going to do with the facts. And so the decision becomes, and again, I don't want to get too deep into it, but through aspects of my own personal life journey and personal family story, there was some motivation to not have the cycle continue with what had happened to me. And therefore, I just decided, okay, whatever it takes at this point, uh, I don't even know. By the way, when you make a decision or a goal, and then you look at what you're actually saying, the goal, be a good father to my, at that time, two boys, ended up having a third, and now we have a blended family of five um, with four grandkids, all beautiful. Um, The question is, who gets to determine if the goal is successful? Not me. It gets to be them. And at that time, they're eight and two. So when I make a decision about what the goal is to be a good dad, I don't even, I'm not even control of the score. (laughs) So that's an interestingly esoteric scenario, but it was a real life scenario for me. And so then became step three, which is, okay, well, what's the plan of action to make this happen? What they're over there. This is before cell phones popped off and FaceTime popped off and all that stuff. You know, what's the goal? What's the plan? I'm sorry. What am I going to do to to enact this? Well, that became one of the defining moments for me to make sure that I never went back to corporate America ever again, because there was nothing in corporate America that would have ever said to me that, or that would have approved me being off as much time as I needed to be off and wanted to be off to travel back and forth. And you can't put eight and two-year-olds on a plane by themselves at that age, even to this day. So that means I'm traveling to go get them and bring them back, traveling, go, you know, I'm doing all of that multiple times a year. And so it was one of those decisions that alters your life. It's not just a business thing. It's a life thing. And that's why we call it inspiration, realization. And when life knocks us down from breakdown to breakthrough. So out of the breakdown of the breakup and the realization, now I've got a new inspiration that says, I want to be a great father. And I don't know what that looks like right now, but I, how do I go from inspiration to realization? And so I say that this works across life and business in almost every domain. And I've had 20 something years to practice this <laughs> both on, on both sides of it. Right. Um, you know, and again, your listeners have been through life. Like we all go through life. We all journey through different, um, different uh, things in life. But one thing that one of my mentors, Jim Rohn used to say, and it stuck with me and really got me through really a, an interesting period of, of a breakdown in my life at one point. And that is um, it's not the blowing of the winds that determine your destination is the set of the sail and the same wind blows on us all. And so, you know, we all went through the pandemic in different ways, different facets, different shapes and forms. But I, it was really interesting when I thought about that quote and how, you know, it's how we choose to operate in the moment of the storm. Uh, Kind of another thing that I think about all the time, whenever something's getting a little tough and that is don't wish the storm, uh, don't try to calm the storm, calm your mind and let the storm pass, right? That's been another grounding principle. Whatever's happening is happening. You know, whatever's happening is happening. If I walk outside and it's raining outside, I can just say, oh, rain, let's stop. You know, well, 
the storm is going to pass. And so the job is to calm your mind. That's what I've learned in my journey of, of personal development. And by the way, that, that isn't just me coming up with the mind shift method and saying, this is how I've done it. It's taken a lot of reading and books on the study of the mind and the brain and subconscious programming and all kinds of um, uh, the work that I've done consistently on the psychology of us as humans. In addition to my, my walk in faith, which is not one that uh, would be typical of probably most. And that is I've listened to and studied all sorts of uh, faith-based beliefs after growing up in one specific religion. And I respect it all. Um, but I realized that the energy that we carry into our situation, both on either side, is largely um, going to move us towards the positive outcome or keep us stuck in the thing that we may not be desiring. And so that's been a lot of work, though. And so the method says then it's step three, let's make a plan. Well, for me back then with the kids was, what if I just call every Saturday or Sunday? What if I just call, even if they don't say nothing, right? What if they just, what if they don't say a thing, right? Let me at least make sure that they know who I am every single week, not just every summer, not just at the Christmas break, not just at the spring break or the, or the Easter break. Let's just do that every weekend. And so that became one of my regimens. And of course, the big step, which is step four in the process, which is really staying committed to making it happen long after the decision you made it in has passed, right? Because the reality is, <laughs> if you're going to turn something in, if nothing into something, whatever that is to you, you're going to be in a, a state of exuberance when you make that decision or that commitment. The question is, is will you keep the commitment long after the emotion and the feeling has passed that you made the decision in. We see failed marriages for the same kind of scenario. We see business partnerships split up. Uh, you know, I've gone through a business partnership breakup, actually a couple, three actually in my journey. And the reality is, you know, at some point, are you still committed to the thing you were committed to? And I think that's where sometimes we, we find ourselves um, struggling is when we're not, we're either committed to the thing for the wrong reason or Something's changed in our plan and we're too embarrassed to just say, okay, let's pivot and go a different direction for fear of what we talked about earlier, which is the outside looking in, the pressure, the, you know, the thing. So those are the four steps, right? Make peace, make a decision, make a plan, make it happen. Or sometimes I think we can, we can also, um, uh, from like a habit stacking standpoint, right? We can also, um, just, intend things to happen but because we have historically not done the thing that we said we were going to do then it becomes harder to actually do it right like so i'm like man i'm about to get back in the gym i spent all this time on buying the right sneaker on buying the right shorts buying the right shirt bought the membership to the best gym in the world but now that the excitement of the idea of me going to the gym is, is is gone, now that I'm in my first week and I realize that it's a lot tougher than I thought it was going to be, I'm not giving myself the space and the time to develop the habit in it yeah. that will allow me to participate and be present for it, regardless of if I have the new sneaker, regardless of if I have the new shirt, Regardless of if it's the fanciest gym, I'm there for the reason that I intended to be there for, which was I wanted to be healthier. All of the other things that I then 
built that around and premised that around are things that I then selected to do that's not necessarily in line with my mission. It's just the part of the process that I got excited to do, right? So I think a lot of times we build all this stuff around the thing that we say we're going to do, and then we're disappointed when those things weren't that we invested so much energy in those things and not in the, the actual thing that we we're planning on. Right. Yeah. So if I just go to any gym, any local gym with the sneakers that I have on the t-shirt that I have on and I, I, I bust my butt at it. I, I'm more likely to have spent more time in that activity than shopping for the clothes to become the person who's at the gym, you know? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm a believer in something called MVPs and MVPs in the software world is called a minimum viable product. And since I've been in the service industry and, and along this personal development journey, and I coach a lot of businesses, both uh, on the life side and the business side, I'm always a believer in what's the minimum viable process for us to get a micro win. And so to your point, I think a lot of times we do all of the, thinking and planning over the big idea, but we step right by the simple idea. Here's a perfect story for you. When the pandemic started, we wait, used to wait. have an office. Wait, let me pause you. Let me pause you for a sec. Let me pause you for a sec. Guys, minimal viable product is or process, just to generalize it if you guys haven't heard it yet, is this idea that um, the customer, the person, the audience, the investment group, the whomever, you don't have to understand your full concept in all of what will be provided in order for you to articulate the value. Sometimes you just need to discuss the basic idea of it for people to have to get buy-in into that thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a full business plan. I say to you, hey, Daryl, I'm going to give you an app. It's going to be on your phone. There's a payment method in there. You can order a car. You'll know who the driver is. It'll take you to your destination. You'll know what the price is. And uh, you'll know the route that the driver will take. Are you interested in that? Person says yes. Person says no. You don't need to develop an Uber app in its full completion to understand if that thing is going to be viable. Sometimes all you need to do is describe that thing, show a portion of that thing in order for someone to really truly understand and buy into the idea of it. So I want you to get back to your story, but just in case someone hadn't heard about what MVP was, just wanted to give like a a quick little definition of it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. No. And I, I think of it uh, in almost everything I've done now over the last um, 20 something years in business, because, you know, I've never started businesses with venture capital behind me. I've always been a bootstrap company, build it from the ground up. And so when I think about it, I, I go back to a couple of years ago when we hit the lockdown uh, and we shut our company down or we shut our office down, should I say. And I was a person who typically worked out at home. I'd been working out at home for the better part of 10 years. All of a sudden now I'm at home. And now my workout's at home and now my work is at home. And I've always worked at home for 20 years part-time, but now I'm at home full-time all day, no reason to leave the house. It wasn't a month or two in, it wasn't a month into it. And I was about to go bat crazy. And I would bat S crazy is what, you know, I was going to say. 
But that and shit I was like, that right, shit. right. So, so let's go back to the decision I made at the point. Like, okay, make peace with the facts. The facts were, oh, I'm at home right now. And it sounded like working from home all day sounded like a halfway decent idea until it wasn't. And I'm like, when I started fiending to go to the grocery store and then would sit in the parking lot for no other reason, not because we were still all wearing, because I just didn't want to go back home just because I needed to get out of the confinement of the house, I decided to start running because I was working out at home. So I'm like, okay, let me start running, get out of the house, go for a 20 minute, 30 minute, whatever. I've never been a runner. Now I played ball growing up and all that stuff. I do high intensity interval training, lift the weights, the whole thing. But I decided to start running. So back to the kind of example about going to the gym, rather than me going, and I'm flat footed by the way, so I can't wear anybody's shoes. Um, You know, for any long period of time, I have to wear special shoes, which means they cost special dollars. So rather than, going to buy some special shoes and get all fancied up and the special running shorts and all the things I decided, and this was a mistake, but you started MVP. I put the shoes on that I had in the room, which were not a good decision. And I used the socks that I had in the room, which was also not a good decision. Why? Because those socks, first of all, the shoes weren't running shoes. They were kind of training shoes. And number two, the socks were cotton socks and those are not good when you're running because they rub against your skin and cause blisters. I didn't know that until I got a blister. Once I got the blister, they're like, oh, okay, this process ain't going to work. We got to go through a new process. So I went and got the shoes. I guess I say all that to say is that what can we do today? What's the minimum viable step we can take today to start getting a micro win? I just decided, do I even like running? Let's just try running a mile. First day, I did not run a mile. First day, I I don't even know if I ran 400 meters. Yeah. But I just kept pressing on it and pressing on it. And I fast forward the decision to say, um, I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with David Goggins, but he has he's an ultra marathon, uh, former Navy SEAL, fantastic story. And he has this event, uh, which has happened two times now, to my knowledge, called the four by four by 48, which starts on a Friday night. It's usually in the spring. And you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So go back to just when the pandemic starts. I've never run. I don't run as in terms of training like a runner. Yeah. And who, who do I think I am one year in to decide I'm going to enter the four by four by 48? Well, Dion, I cheesed up year one because I took it too lightly. And when the date got close, I just talked myself out of it. So then that haunted me for the next year. And I said, I'll be doggone if I miss it next year. And so I was, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that I, I figured out my training routine and I was able to get through that event this spring. And that goes from a guy who was, who got blisters on his feet with bad shoes and some cotton socks to finally deciding what the right process was. So again, make peace with the facts, make a decision, come up with a plan and then make it happen. And so I think about even in an example where it comes to working out, if we don't overcomplicate what it takes to get a micro win, you know, then I bought one of those running watches, right? And you can track your pace per mile, how many steps you're running. I mean, then you just get into all the the discipline of improvement, which is what all of us do as leaders, right? If you can't improve what you don't measure. And so whatever you're doing in life, you've got to figure out what the measurement is. Again, coming from a sports background, uh, I'm kind of wired to measure things. Uh, I coached, you know, sports and played sports and, and of course in business, everything is about KPIs. So I'm wired to, to, to track uh, the numbers that matter, but even at a very minimum level, um, what is it that we can track that allows us to deem that we're moving forward, even when things are in a, a tough space? 
Yeah, and I, I think I think what's really uh, great about uh, your story, Daryl, is that um, you planned to run a mile, didn't think you hit 400 meters or so, whatever, whatever what that number was. You just put on socks and just put on shoes, right? Like you got to start somewhere and then iterate the rest. Right. And so, and so if in your not hitting your first mile, you became, um, disappointed by that and stopped, then that would have been a choice that you would have made. If you would have said, man, the cotton socks didn't work. I'm going to stop. That would have been a choice that you made. Right. right? It wouldn't have been wrong. That's the other side. It wouldn't have been wrong. I could have just decided this isn't for me. I'm going to go a different direction, right? It's not wrong. And I think that's your point earlier, right? Yeah, it's it's all a choice, right? It's a choice, right? It's a choice. And, but to your your further idea is, or the further idea that you posed is, is that everything is measurable. We also need a starting point of measurement, right? Starting point is, 400 meters, thought I was going to run a mile. Right. Starting point is 400 meters got me blisters. I don't want blisters. If if 400 meters got me blisters, if I ran a mile, what happens next? Right. I'm flat-footed. 400 miles caused me pain in my foot. Well, now what does one mile look like? Great. Now what does one to five miles look like, right? What does one to 10 mile now look like, Right. But all in starting that first experience, you come in with what you have. You don't assume what you will need until you recognize what the next level of need will be. 100%. And then in that way, you're being, you're, 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 you, you are, you are being um, intentional around your activity, but also you're being strategic about how you're approaching the next step, right? So you could have started, bought everything, got the right socks, got the right shoes, got the right everything, still ran the 400, still decided you didn't want to do it. Now all you got is a whole bunch of stuff that you don't need. Right, a whole bunch of cool new stuff, right? (laughs) Cool new stuff that you'll never want to use again, right? So (laughs) sometimes we need to just, we need to just go with what we got and then figure it out as we move along what it's going to take to hit that next benchmark to get to that next step. Um, so when, uh, when, when you talk about this idea that, you know, um, there, there was a time period where you sat in the car and you just didn't want to go home. And, and I, I recognize that. And, and you may say this to be true, but I'm going to recognize from, what I heard in the story it probably has very little to do with the things that are happening in your house, but just this sense of variety and access to other spaces. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we want to go home because it is, because it has just variety. Right. But um, so much success is founded in routine, regardless of what that routine looks like. Right. That's um, the truth. You, you build a system, you, you iterate that system, you grow that system, you scale that system. Success oftentimes is boring as God. Preach. Knows. It's just preach. Boring. It's not. Preach. Right? Like, 
So it's not what people think it is. It's not, it's, it's, it is. It is. It's not what people think it is. Like if you're going to be successful, you're going to do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Once you figure out what the thing is, now you might yep. iterate to get to the thing and there might be 3% adjustments here and there, yep. but you're, you're, that's the truth. Yep. You're going to do it. Right. So, so as you're, as you now have built businesses, built relationships that require for you to bring the things that you bring to them, how do you find space for your own sense of creativity, your own sense of, of adventure while, you know, you're, you're there, you, 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 you can't, sometimes you can't sit in the parking lot in your car in your business. Cause that's not allowed, right? Like there's one space where that is an absolute thing. You can't necessarily go on vacation while sitting at your desk because your job just is stressing you out. So, so is this where you're reading more? Is this where you're speaking? Is this the podcast for you? Where do you find the room and the space to combat what I would imagine is the, the, the necessary routine and systems that it takes for someone to be successful, especially in the entrepreneurial space? That's a great question. Um, very interesting. I've often felt that, you know, while we use the word serial entrepreneur, I think without, you know, with all respect to those that have a, an actual real life condition called uh, ADHD and attention deficit disorders, I really feel like to your point, I'm a good starter of businesses and a good grower and then I end up because of the routine. Uh, one of the things about my current business is I and the fact that I get to coach different people, I get to run agency uh, growth for different companies. I think that gives me the variety that gives me, even though we use similar frameworks, it gives me the variety to learn what's motivating this entrepreneur. Why did you start this thing? Who do you want to help? Why are you deciding to do this? So I think that gives me a bit of the variety. Um, but to your other point, yeah, I mean, the podcast for me, uh, was an opportunity to connect. And, and of course, at a time uh, digitally where that was about the only thing we could do, uh, we couldn't get together in conferences. I really enjoy conferences more than I enjoy any other type of environment, it, even in even beyond networking and mastermind groups. I really enjoy being in a room with whether it's 50, 100, 2,000. I've been in some pretty decent sized rooms. Um, I, I enjoy the energy that comes with the environment Meaning we all may have come from different walks of life, but we are, and we're all selling or doing something different in our businesses or in leading different things, but there's usually an energy present in that room. And I just feel spiritually tied to those energies and that'll never be replaced. I've never felt it in a mastermind group, although mastermind groups have you've described, I've been a part of them for 20 years. I've got one tomorrow. I enjoy those and they're for a purpose, but I don't leave there energized. I leave there knowing that we did some work on the work. Right. Because that's what the 17 people are there to help us do, which is help us get to the next level. When I go to an event, I like the energy there. So, you know, to keep things Wait, can sharp. I, can I pause you for a second? I want to, I want to, I want to, because, sure. and I want you to get back to your point. So, conventions to me have always felt like cults to me. I don't know why. I always just feel like there's no way this many people are so aligned to one thing. It might be the New Yorker in me. It might be whatever. So, so here's my question because, because 
there are different culture, there are different convention experiences, um, right? And and they, they all can be um, slightly changed. So talk about some of those conventions that you've gone to sure. where you've had that positive experience. I want to pause for a second. Oh, my. So yeah. you can shout out some of those for people who might be listening who are like, I want that experience. I know I've gone to places and it's been like, wow, this feels really overwhelming for me. But I also think that you have to come in already, already put, bought fully into the culture of it. Otherwise, it feels like an us-them scenario where you're like, I didn't know I had to wear this color. I didn't know I needed to have this button. I didn't know that, right? Like where it just, it just, it feels like everyone else is in one space. You may be operating another. Um, I also think that there are some conventions that I've been to that I was just like, I keyed into it immediately. First town hall, first couple breakouts. I was like, this is tribe. This is my tribe. I don't know none of y'all. This is my tribe. I can't wait to whatever. But sometimes I do feel like I, I get the experience that it just feels culture. Like everyone's there for the culture. Everyone's kind of tied into the culture and it feels a little, I say I use the word cult, but like it yeah. feels a little fanatic. In yeah. The so I, I go back to something you said earlier, which is community. So I see it differently. I see whenever someone is holding space for whether it's 50 people or 23,000, which is the biggest one I've ever been to. Yep. And that's tied to our HubSpot, uh, to HubSpot, which is uh, the inbound conference that we go to. We've been a HubSpot partner now for six, six and a half years. So whether it's the big grandiose thing or all the way down to the 50 person, 100 person, 200 person thing, I've been to almost everything in between, yep. uh, 2000 space rooms. And I said, so what I think about it is I think about what you said earlier, which is community. Generally speaking, the host of the event. Now, there are bad events. Let me be really crystal clear. You've been to them. I've been to there are bad events where all all it is is what I would call a super affiliate marketing uh, stage where everyone who gets up is basically doing a live webinar so that they can pitch you to the back of the room. That's yeah. not what I attend. I can spot those from, you know, I could spot those for, that are happening in New York from Vegas. I know exactly what those look like when I see them being promoted, but I look at the communities I'm in. What does that mean? Well, when I'm reading books, there's only so much energy I can get out of a book. And I respect a $17 book just as much as I respect the $2,000 attendance to go VIP at one of these conferences. But more so, it's about the ideology that I can't do it all on my own. And if someone's going to hold space, which is what you and I do as coaches, if you think about it, when we bring someone and when someone is getting coaching from us, we are holding space for them to grow. We're holding space to them for us to be objective. And so I've always deemed these types of events uh, and again, I think they're, you know, I pick and choose where I go. It's not like I fly around to events every month, uh, yeah. but I'd like to go to two or three a year, you know, pre-pandemic. And, and since the pandemic, now we're opening things back up and I've helped my own events. And uh, we want to get back to that in 2023. But I think of it as us holding space for an energy of growth and development in whatever the topic of the event is. Um, very much, you know, when I grew up in church, like, you know, the church held space for us to grow in our in our faith beliefs and those kind of things. So that's the way I see it in terms of uh, the way these events have been. And I've attended everything from personal development events, which are largely where I go uh, yeah. into some technical events that are a little bit more niche in terms of products or software, but mostly personal development style leadership events is what I, uh, 
mean by the energy in the room? Everyone no, there seems looking. to be wanting to elevate. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think that um, there's other people that see conventions as like partying with partners that you haven't seen in a while, right? Where like sure. a majority of it is like, I haven't even seen y'all, where y'all been? And they're like at the resort, at the bar, at the networking after party. So I think that there's a whole bunch of what people get out of them. Um, I just liked how you framework what you got from it and just comparison in, in comparison to some of my experiences and then kind of, you know, whatever those other ones are like, whatever. I just wanted to hear you talk about that a bit more and, sure. and go into it a bit more because um, I think that those, um, those experiences are definitely varied and it's interesting to, to, for people to go into what they get out of it, um, especially in a world where for a very, you know, for two years, we, we, we haven't had them in the, uh, oftentimes in the same capacity and they've been relegated to virtual spaces, which lacks a lot of that same sort of space. Doesn't get the job done. Yeah. Doesn't right, get the cool. job done. Two questions that I ask everyone on man versus brand. First question is, on any streaming platform, podcast, or book, what have you recently read that you thoroughly enjoy? Oh, my geez. Um, <laughs> I read so many books. Um, or watch or, or listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the audio book is in my mind. So I just finished it. So thoroughly enjoyed. Let me, you asked thoroughly. So let me get thoroughly in there. Um, oh my geez. I read so many, uh, dang Dion. That's a, that's a great question. Um, and it'll end up in your, um, uh, in your show. and the problem is I just took down all my books. I, I took down my backdrop because we're reorganizing the office and I had them in, I have them in a place where I, they, and what I just read and I'm trying to think of what I read. Let me just, can we go to the second question? I'll come back to that one. Well, no, it's actually a little bit. It's it may, this may. All right. So on any streaming platform, a podcast or a book, what's something that you have thoroughly enjoyed that people may not associate with you? That they wouldn't associate with me? Yeah. Like it might be like, yeah, I'm really into, I'm really into murder. Yeah. I'm really into Marvel. I'm really into, uh, I'm really into. Um, so I'm a super. I'm a superhero fan. So anything. Super what? Yeah. So I'm a big time. Uh, and you said any streaming platform. I don't know if you would deem television streaming, but so I'm a Fast and Furious and superhero fan. So I'm I'm a goofy uh, app. You know, uh, anything Avengers, anything Fast and Furious in terms of television is concerned. But um, in terms of wait, so while you're looking that up, so so what's your take on Tokyo Drift? Like, oh, it was, it, it was the worst of the bunch. Is is it fair that it's now being included to give it canon and and uh, and relationship to the other films? Like, or do you still, even though they brought, I think like one or two of the characters in, mm -hmm. do yeah. you do you still feel like that was a whole separate movie, like so a whole I, movie that didn't exist in the franchise? Right. Well, if you think about it their job is to tell stories. Yep. And so they, that one, they probably have enough ratings to say that they didn't do a good job with that one. That's not just me saying it, you saying it. And so I think any, anyone who's a creator 
wants to go back and do something, maybe to some degree, go back and change or improve on something that didn't land very well. Yeah. I just think it's part of how you extend the franchise. You got to constantly come up with a new story. I've had a big appreciation for writers, uh, television writers, series writers. Obviously, Shonda Rhimes is is just un- unbelievably incredible with the the reps that she puts in and, and how she produces shows. And I'm not a big TV watcher, but I've I've watched enough to to just really understand the mastery behind telling stories and opening up loops in a series that you can literally just keep someone wanting to watch that for weeks on end. And so, you know, Fast and Furious, obviously people would argue probably not that, you know, won't be at the top of every movie, but the money they've made in a franchise and the way they keep telling stories, it's, it gets corny, it gets quirky, but so does Avengers. Let's be clear. Um, The other thing I think is that they, I mean, there were other, there were other films, of course, that focus on driving and crime, like Dukes of Hazards. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one where um, oh, Italian Job, I love the Italian Job. Um, okay. And then when like Speed Racer and other things, right? But I think Speed, also, <laughs> Speed, Speed Racer had some of the most interesting graphics that showed what speed was like that I think I've ever seen. But but anyway, it, I feel yeah, like so, all, what what's up? So the book, the book that I would say that no one would associate with me in in my life today, uh, I read Trading in the Zone not too long ago, which is a book about trading stocks and uh, whatever you trade in the financial world. So I got a degree in finance. I actually wanted to go work on Wall Street. And um, uh, I was around a community of, of traders and, and someone recommended the book. And interestingly enough, whether I applied to trading or not is immaterial. It was, it was, a, it was a reminder that success is not emotional. And it was a reminder that you must have a plan. You must consistently execute the plan without emotion, which means you must put in the work, which uh, in the mind shift world, we call that doing the reps. And that's not doing the reps necessarily in the gym. It's, it's once the plan is in motion, don't get emotional, keep doing the thing. Uh, and you have to do it long enough until the results kick in. So that was an interesting book that no one would probably associate with me. All right, so is that your answer for the first question? First something question. That you recently read that you thoroughly, or something that you recently read and or yep. watched that you thoroughly enjoyed? Yep. All right, so something you, you, you recently read that you thoroughly enjoyed was called, give it to me one more time. Trading in the Zone. Trading in the Zone. And, in the zone. and Fast and Furious is the thing that people may not associate with you, but that you actually really like. Well, they, 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 my family would know as Fast and Furious, but yeah, most people on the outside wouldn't know that I quote, I quote lines from that movie. I actually tweeted, I, I uh, either tweeted or LinkedIn messaged or posted something on LinkedIn, and I said in there something, uh, "Me familiar in my best Dominic Toretto voice," right? So I'm a, I'm a bit of a fanatic about that movie. I just, it, it's just, it's fun to watch. All right, good. That's awesome, man. All right, so um, if uh, if you would please uh, give us the way that uh, we can engage more in your content, like how can how can we, um, the audience, listeners, myself, how do we find out more about what you're doing? How do we um, hire your agency? How do we 
um, get into your coaching program? How do we um, get any, you know, stuff that you're putting out there on social media? What's the best ways uh, to engage in what you're doing uh, so we can take the conversation further? Yeah, I appreciate that, Dion. Thanks again for having me and and just, uh, again, holding space for for a conversation on some topics that, you know, that I think are, are relevant for where we are today. And so uh, there's two ways to, to really um, connect with me. Dion shared one of them earlier. Uh, I am the host of the Mindshift Podcast. And wherever you're listening to Man Versus Brand, you can look up the Mindshift Podcast with Daryl Evans and you will be able to subscribe to the show, follow the show, listen to a few episodes, see if it's your jam. And if it is, I'd love to hear from you. We've got a new tool that's uh, in the description where you can actually leave a voice message or a text message. And then on social media, I'm pretty much everywhere at Mr. Daryl Evans on almost all the platforms. All right, cool, man. Um, can I give you an interesting recommendation for, um, since you like the trading book for something that you may read? Um, it's It's not a well-read book in terms of, you know, just kind of getting a lot of attention, but the book is actually amazing and changed the way um, that I thought about trade and industry. Can I share that with you? Absolutely. It's called The Misfit Economy. I never heard of it. Yeah, no, no, very few people have. It's called The Misfit Economy. It's lessons in creativity from pirates, hackers, gangsters, and other informal entrepreneurs. It's written by uh, Alexa Clay, and she talks about all the ways from selling camel's milk and and how that worked to black markets um, to um, the Silk Road, all of the ways in which people have created economies that did not exist and what lessons they are to learn from them. And so um, it's a book that was gifted to me. It's kind of a random book. You know, there are very few recommendations. I don't know how well it's selling or not selling. Um, but if you're interested in that space at all, then um, check it out. It's, uh, it's a pretty awesome book. I'll leave that in the show notes for you guys too. Listen, guys, we are so lucky to have Daryl Evans on uh, man versus brand. Uh, I hope he comes back uh, so that we can talk a bit more about uh, what he's doing in um, the digital agency space, uh, how that space uh, specifically worked through um, the issues in, in, during COVID and, and what it's like to build a team. Um, we talked a lot about personal stuff. We talked a lot about uh, growth. I had a mini tearful moment about, you know, the volume of adult male suicides I'm hearing about um, uh, because uh, that's what this podcast was founded on. It was founded on creating a safe space for open conversation, a challenging conversation, dialogue um, to help men, women, leaders, entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, mompreneurs, people thinking about being a preneur, part-timepreneurs, all of us, all of us. It's a great space for us to just talk and to listen and to engage and to hear about different lived experiences um, because all, all experiences are valuable. And, and, and if you have the right mind shift, if you look at those, those four or five points that Daryl mentioned, then I think anyone can be successful at anything that they undertake because they have a basic and simple methodology to follow. 
I'm Dion Brown. This is Man vs. Brand. Thank you, Daryl, for being on. I appreciate you all for listening. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. If this talk just resonated with you or could help someone you know, follow Dion or his guest on all social media platforms. Till next time. And remember, with any business or brand, give it to your heart, make it real, or else forget about it. See you all soon.